Hello and welcome to another episode of the How to Empower podcast series. Today we'll be discussing the topic of working with cancer, shedding light on the struggles faced by cancer patients and what employers and peers can do to make it easier to talk about. Today I'm joined by Barbara Wilson, founder and director of Working with Cancer. Hi Barbara. Hello. And Martin Groom, director in the workforce team at PwC. Hi Martin. Hello. Before delving into the questions, I wanted to set the scene for listeners, sharing some of the startling statistics behind cancer. In our lifetimes, one in two of us will be diagnosed with cancer. Fewer than two-thirds of employees diagnosed with cancer return to work or are still working a year after getting a diagnosis. Job loss is experienced by up to 53% of people living with cancer, and unemployment can be 1.4 times higher than for people who do not have cancer. In light of this, our aim today is to shed more light on the realities faced by so many people, challenge common misconceptions and encourage more open conversations. So Barbara, if I could start with you, could you share your experiences with us? Okay, well I was um, diagnosed with cancer in 2005 with breast cancer. Uh, I had uh, three surgeries, uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. Um, I was working then as an HR director in the city for a large investment management company. Um, I found it very difficult to manage my own return to work and that um, kind of showed me how difficult it was in general for people to manage work and cancer. Um, So that led me to setting up the company in 2014 when allegedly I'd already retired. (laughs) And uh, we work throughout the UK and Europe supporting anyone affected by cancer at any stage uh, to return to work, manage work or find work. Brilliant. Thank you, Barbara. And and Martin, could you share a bit about your story, please? Sure. So I was diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer in October uh, 22. And... um, at that point went through, I guess, the the journey that a lot of of men go through. And I guess that's a topic that that it would be good for us to to talk a bit about today, because I think um, uh, us fellas take a a different approach to this disease and these conditions. And and I think we need to start uh, kind of opening the doors and getting people to uh, think more about what they can do for themselves and, and to try and get ahead of prevention and early treatment. So a um, couple of things, I guess, that, that stand out for me. Probably the most challenging time was in between being told there's something seriously wrong with you and then being told this is what's wrong with you and here's the plan and this is what we're going to do and this is what you can expect. So that was a period for me of probably about two months Um, And I found that uh, of the whole journey, probably the most difficult. Um, And I think it's worth us exploring at some stage, you know, what support can be provided and what people should be reaching out to to get help with. After that, it was possible for me, fortunately, thanks to the support and help of PwC to be able to step back from work for a while. Um, and and look after myself and really um, maximise the opportunity to get better. Thank you, Martin. And I'll stay with you if that's okay. Just um, would be really interesting to hear, were there any signs in your journey that, that helped you early on? Anything you kind of say to, to listeners that to keep an eye out for or you, or you noticed? 
again, with, with prostate cancer in particular, um, uh, men of a certain age start to notice some, some differences. Um, and I think we need to be open to that and we need to get men to look out for it. Um, everything I've learned suggests, you know, really once over the age of 45 and certainly over the age of 50, you should be um, looking out for, you know, how many times you get up during the night and so forth. Um, key thing if you have the opportunity to have a company medical, you should take it and, and not shy away from it. Um, and second key thing, if you are over 50 and you're male, you must absolutely, you must get a PSA test. And, and Barbara, obviously, you've got your own experience, but you work with many people with cancer. Any, any, any kind of tips you'd like to add on? Well, I think it's it's quite interesting because, for example, in my when, with my experience, I didn't have any clue that I was ill at all until mm. I'd had a mammogram, uh, which I actually had commissioned myself because I knew I had, as they described it, lumpy breasts, um, and I had a lot of cancer uh, in my family. What I would say is, it, uh, I absolutely agree with Martin. It's important to manage your health. Uh, so, if screenings offered take it up. If, like me, there's a lot of cancer in your family, push for checks. Um, if you're somebody who has the benefit of private health care, make sure you use it. And I think the other thing is to self-advocate. So if you feel there's a change in your body, a pain or an ache that you just can't explain, and your GP, bless them, says, oh, well, go see a physio. Um, there was something on the radio about this yesterday. If you still feel unwell or feel that's not right, self-advocate, take responsibility for your own health because no one else will. Thank you. And, and presumably for those, you know, I've, I, I know many people don't want to go and ask. They're worried and they're scared what the news might be. But presumably the first step really does need to be to go and get that help and to ask those questions. Yeah, it is scary. It is really scary. You know, I have relatives, um, uh, you know, when I was a little girl who, you know, one relative who'd had breast cancer, which probably could have been, uh, dealt with very well and she was so frightened she just let it go and she died and I think fear is a, is a is terribly debilitating it doesn't actually solve anything um, and the worry can be debilitating too so the worry the anxiety don't let that ruin your life find out what's happening and and get it fixed Prostate cancer, breast cancer, many cancers these days are can be managed very well. They can be treated very well. The survival rates are increasing all the time. And I, I guess this leads on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, historically, even, even now, lots of people don't really want to talk about cancer. Um, and presumably that can feed the fear and, and feed those barriers. But how can we have more open conversations about this? Uh, in my experience, it's about the organisation setting the right culture and making it OK to talk about cancer in the workplace. I think the city has particular problems, the city of London, as it were. People are concerned about their careers. They don't want to be seen as damaged. I think Martin will comment on this. I think men are particularly prone to that. Um, and, and the only way to deal with that is by making it okay to talk about these things. 
Uh, there are some cultures uh, where, again, it's very difficult and there's a real stigma. Um, not talking about things doesn't actually solve the issue. And many companies will lose very talented people because they have made it difficult for their employees, if not impossible, to talk about cancer openly and honestly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, um, Barbara. For everyone to s try to beat this condition, we've we've got to do three things, in my view. The first is, at the very outset, get that medical, get that help, um, seek advice, be as open as you can to find out what's wrong with me. Um, and not hide away, as you've already said. The The second is to speak openly about it. And, you know, the main reason I'm here today is because if we don't start speaking about this and having much wider conversations and being um, transparent and honest, um, not embarrassed, uh, then more people are going to get sick and more people are going to die. Um, sadly, the the day that I I got the news that I'm pretty much clear now, um, I met a very good friend who announced to me that he was about to go off for four or five months because he has colon cancer, and we think they've caught it, but no one would ever have known. He wouldn't have known. It, he he just happened to be talking to some people who talked about symptoms. And, and quietly went off to his GP, got a bit of a check done. Suddenly he was in front of a consultant. And, and thank goodness, I'm, I'm going to use extreme language, he's saved. He's going to be okay. But, you know, a bit like my case, another few weeks, and that's what it can be sometimes, just a few weeks. Um, and, and then it's either too late or it's, it's a damn sight more difficult to treat and, and, and a, lot, uh, a lot less straightforward yeah the third thing then is when you're going through this um and again I'm, I'm probably addressing the male population again talk to people about how you are and and what's going on and what treatment you're getting and how you're feeling and talk to friends and and talk to relatives uh, in my case, I talked to anybody that would stand still because I just felt it was really important for people to know. I had a couple of, of colleagues in the workplace say to me, it, it's really good that you're being quite open about this because, you know, there's 300 fellas sitting around this floor and I'm sure very few of them will have thought about this. So, you, you know, to become a bit of an advocate for diagnosis and treatment and openness and honesty is is really important to me well thank you and i'm glad to hear that you that you are well it's really good to hear um i guess you touched on that martin some of the the barriers that people face and experience when they're um you know living with cancer and, and trying to get the right support for that barbara in your experience what do you think those key barriers that you see time and time and again are yeah, there are lots. I mean, one of the issues is is that there are over 200 different cancers and everyone's experience of cancer is very different. So, for example, there are many different forms of breast cancer. 
But even if somebody has the same form of breast cancer as me and the same treatment, because of our different physiology, we may have very different reactions. So one of the barriers is assumptions, expectations that people make of themselves and others. Uh, so, for example, you know, I have clients where a manager will say, well, I know about cancer because my mum had that or my dad had that. And we're all different. So assumptions about what somebody can do or can't do get in the way. One of the assumptions is, is that once treatment's finished, it's done. OK, so you're now cured or potentially if you're not cured, you're going to die when actually returning to work, managing your life after cancer is a process. It's not an event. Recovery from cancer is not linear. It's a roller coaster. There are good days and bad days. There are good months and bad months. And uh, what happens is typically, as Martin may know, uh, the side effects of some of the medication can be debilitating. So somebody may return to work not feeling too bad, not really starting their medication yet, and they have no idea what side effects are going to impact them, which may be cognitive dysfunction, fatigue, which we can talk about for ages. Um, if you're a woman, you may suddenly experience severe menopausal symptoms. All those things will affect your ability to work. So you go back to work feeling pretty good. Suddenly the medication kicks in. You feel terrible. You lose confidence in yourself. Your boss loses confidence in yourself. Or it may be you've come back to work for several weeks. You've been doing well. Suddenly you're not so good. You lose confidence. Should I tell my boss? Should I tell my family? I don't want to give them bad news. Maybe the cancer's come back. So all of those things, lack of knowledge, lack of awareness about cancer, managing uncertainty about your, well, about your wellness, your situation, your career, all of those things hinder conversations. It's very tough. So if you think of the classic iceberg analogy, Active treatment and finishing active treatment is just the tip of that iceberg. There's an awful lot that follows after cancer treatment. And it's important that people understand that. And once you understand it, you can manage it uh, and, and work with it effectively. Thank you. And Martin, I could see you nodding then. And, you know, I know we spoke a bit before this about some of the misconceptions about, about what cancer is and what living with cancer is like. I'd really love to hear some more of your thoughts. Yeah, if I, if I hop back to what Barbara's just said, yeah. I kind of wander around telling people when I've consolidated it. Fear, and, and Barbara's already said fear, and, and that's massive for everybody, even if they are the biggest, bravest soul walking this planet. Embarrassment, and we can't, we can't get away from embarrassment, You're especially in men, especially when we're talking prostate or colon or anything down there. It's just all a bit difficult. Um, and finally, I think there's a pride thing. Um, and the pride thing for men is about, well, I'm, I'm the big, brave, strong protector. And therefore, my pride is damaged if actually I'm, I'm suddenly seen to have a weakness. Um, for women who are often actually very much more stoic than men. Um, the, the pride thing is I've got to carry on for my family, for the kids, for the relationship, and I can't be seen to be weak. 
that that is all it is all absolute nonsense because at the end of the day nothing matters more than your health your well-being um and and getting through this and trying to get back to i was going to say normal let's say a new normal because i think we all agree on that what what happens during the cancer i mean i can only give you my my personal sure. uh, reflection um fatigue is something that i have become completely fascinated with because i didn't understand what fatigue really was um people said to me you'll get very tired um forget that you know i i've i've made people laugh because i have got halfway through mowing the lawn and had to literally stop because i couldn't push the lawnmower anymore i've had to sit down on the wall um both whilst mowing the lawn but also whilst trying to walk the dog sit down on a neighbor's wall and i can't get home and and that has felt fortunately i'm the kind of person i could smile about it and and even laugh about it and kind of go I understand what's going on it's okay a lot of people wouldn't find that a lot of people i think would be mortified by it fatigue is a complete it's like you've been completely unplugged it's a it's a complete lack of power energy going to the battery um and most people i believe that have cancer treatment because it's the treatment that at the end of the day mm-hmm. causes it um will suffer from that um barbara talks very fondly about brain fog uh that that has happened i i have uh, i've gone again to walk the dog and forgotten exactly where i was going i've gone to drive the car and had to just stop and take a moment and go oh yes i know where i'm going now you've got no control over any of this and then and then the final one obviously f- for me as a man which was difficult but all i could do was smile about is what i describe as crying over my pizza uh, and that's exactly what happened a sunday evening sitting around with the family all very happy all all having a conversation and suddenly the tears stop because if it's a hormone treatment based um uh plan it 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 does have some very strange effects on your emotions and and as again as a man you're just not used to that you you know unless you are a um a kind of person that that is is tends to be a bit more emotional then you wouldn't be used to suddenly bursting into tears and of course everybody asking you what's wrong what's wrong Th- there's not anything specifically wrong there's there's no control over this um so those are the things that that I would I would pull out really interesting to hear barbara talk about what happens at the at the end as you as you start to finish treatment and 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 your you're well so i'm i'm walking around saying i'm cancer free isn't that good do i feel exactly like i did um in the summer of 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 22 no i don't there's there's something i'm i'm not quite the same person i've got a different outlook and perspective but physically i'm also just a little bit different mm-hmm. and i guess that might take quite some time before um i i start to feel like that again can i just add something? please please um uh the one thing that's really not understood about cancer is the sort of psychological impact and because often people think of cancer as a physical illness so you know organizations will have wellness programs where they talk about mental health and talk about physical health well frankly the psychological impact of cancer is probably more significant and long lasting than the physical impact you can manage physical symptoms what you can't manage is walking down a corridor 
where you suddenly triggered back into thinking about that corridor reminds me of the hospital where I was treated. The fear of recurrence lasts for most people forever. And there's a terrific book, if people are interested, or not book, book, I say article, by a, a, a clinical psychologist called Peter Harvey. And it's called After the Treatment Finishes, Then What? And it's about the psychological impact of cancer. And he says in his article, something to effect, I'm paraphrasing, whoever you are, whatever you do, whatever your personality, a diagnosis of cancer changes your life irrevocably. A very powerful words. And it's very important that people understand the fact that cancer affects you in many ways. Confronting your own mortality, which is what we all do, is not a great place to be. <laughs> and you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel that psychological and emotional stress that a diagnosis of cancer brings about. So people often think they're going mad or they've lost a plot or they'll go to GP for pills to cure their depression when actually what they're feeling is just the normal reaction to a cancer diagnosis. And then sitting alongside all that is that many of us are in fairly demanding jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and actually, you know, we we could almost run another episode on how do you manage this workplace, both when you're diagnosed, when you're suffering with cancer, when you're going through the treatment, and and afterwards. Because I like to think I'm a reasonably upbeat and reasonably in control kind of guy, but even now I I do walk around the floor and and every now and again I think. Oh, yeah, but actually, I've had cancer and I don't know if I'll be able to do that. And and it's only momentary for me. For other people, it might not be momentary. For other people, it might be a much bigger issue. But it definitely sits there. And you look around and, and there is also this very strange question in your mind of what are people thinking about me or saying mm-hmm. about me or how do they view me now? I... I try to view myself as exactly the same as I was, even though I'm not. So what chance does everybody else stand at that point? Because they're all looking and go, oh, yeah, it's nice to see Martin back. And then what? And I don't know. But this, the, it, it creates a tension in you and it creates a hesitation in you, I think. Um, and I think that needs to be understood or at least appreciated by people when, when you return to work after a, a cancer journey. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I suspect that will resonate with with many listeners trying to, it's sometimes hard to almost articulate all of these different things going on at the same time and how they impact you. So Mm. so thank you both for sharing those. Um, I want to move on and and Martin, you kind of touched on this to the, um, positive is the wrong word, but the kind of, I suppose, constructive question of um, people listening who perhaps are in HR and leadership what can organisations do to support people in this situation? Shall I start? Please. Um, I think, as I, I think I may have sort of hinted earlier, it's important that the organisation makes it okay to talk about cancer mm-hmm. in the workplace. So some people may have heard, I hope, of the Working with Cancer pledge campaign, which I think Pricewaterhouse have signed, Coopers yep. have signed the pledge. 
And I think doing that, making talking about cancer in the workplace normal, acceptable, uh, is a huge start. I think the other thing is not to just focus on medical treatment because there is a huge gap in services when people finish their treatment between that point, their active treatment, and, and, and being back at work. There are very few services around that will support somebody managing that reintegration back into the workplace. Now, you know, we and other organisations will provide support to fill that gap and to continue filling that until the person feels properly settled back at work. I think that's very important. A lot of organisations will focus on, you know, private health, which is great, Mm -hmm. and occupational health support, which is great, and an employee assistance programme, which which can be fine. But it's about managing that transition that most organisations don't really understand, which is really, really important. And there I say, there's a lot of research being done that shows that the line manager... Mm-hmm. can make the biggest difference as to whether somebody returns to work successfully. So very important to train and educate line managers so that they understand how best to support somebody who's coming back to work. And and that's that's really interesting. And I, I'm going to come to you in a moment, Martin, but I just want to ask a follow-up because I, I suspect, just as I did when you said that, I thought, well, I manage people. What What could I do in this situation? Do you have... I know that you could talk about this for hours and I'm asking for the 30 second summary, but are there one or two things that you would say to a line manager to have in mind if they're supporting somebody in their team with cancer? Okay, so the first thing is to is to is to have a sensitive and empathetic conversation with the individual to find out about their cancer, what treatment they're having, and what support would be helpful. There'll probably be lots of policies and and, uh, benefits within the organisation that the manager or the individual may not be aware about. Um, So it's important to have that conversation. I would say there are four stages when a manager needs to have a proper structured conversation with the individual, uh, along with HR, if HR is normally involved. One is at the point of diagnosis to find out what's going on. Secondly, when active treatment begins to find out what that person wants to do in terms of staying in touch with work. Thirdly, just a few weeks before returning to work to have a proper conversation about a return to work plan. And the fourth is then to keep in touch and have regular conversations with that person to check if that person, for example, if you've made reasonable adjustments, are being properly used and whether other adjustments might be necessary. Silence is not golden. There are lots of times to talk to the person and and understand what's going on for them. Great, thank you. And and Martin, anything you want to kind of add to that? Not really. I mean, Barbara's captured it perfectly. Um, For me... I got a good level of support. Um, I had an empathetic line manager um, who was appropriate, was sensitive, and I felt that this firm has supported me. Um, It's interesting, once you're back, you know, the the treadmill is, is fairly quickly set to normal speed, and I think the individual needs to then 
get a grip and Barbara and I have talked about this separately around, you know, often enough, it can be the individual that determines what speed they want that to go at. Mm -hmm. I think you've got to just take a step back and say, am I ready to, to, to be the person I was 18 months, two years, three years, however long it was ago. Um, and what I've been wrestling with is trying to manage my time, my stakeholders, my relationships, um, so that I can continue to recover because whilst, as I've already said, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm physically through what I needed to get through. Um, there are moments when I'm, I'm not quite, I'm not quite up to it yet. Mm -hmm. And I need to just press pause. I don't know if the organization fully understands that if I'm really honest, but that's up to me to educate them. Yeah. Thank you. So, so as we draw to a close, I had two final questions for both of you. The first, I suppose, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but is there kind of one piece of advice you'd you'd like to share with people who are either struggling with cancer or caring for somebody who's in that situation? Uh, there's a famous psychologist called Julia Samuel who's written a book called This Too Shall Pass. This too shall pass. You'll get through it, but you need to get the support you want and need in order to help you do that? For me, it's it's the much more pragmatic side. I, I would now advise, suggest, recommend that you sit down with the person that is going through this and have a, a jolly good conversation and a strong cup of coffee and mm -hmm. say, how are you feeling? How are you really? What are you able to do? What are you not able to do? And most importantly, what what would be helpful for me to do to help you on this journey? And, and that really applies to everybody, both at home and at work. Mm -hmm. Because as Barbara's pointed out very eloquently, everybody is different. So what one person might need, want, is going to be completely different to the next person. And until you sit down and talk to them and have that conversation and be transparent again, you're not really going to know. Thank you. And and finally, we ask every guest on our, our podcast to, to let us know um, what makes you feel empowered. I, I've thought long and hard about that. I think uh, I, I was an employee for many years. I now run my own company. Um, I think I'm of a, an age and a time in life, particularly having got through cancer, when it's great to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And um, I think being in control of your life is a, is a huge benefit if you can engineer that. Um, I think certainly having a cancer diagnosis and getting through it, most people will have a better sense of themselves, of what they want out of life. But then it's important that you remember that and uh, and go for it, as it were. And I guess that's what I've done. Um, but it took over 70 years for me to get there. Martin. Easy for me to answer this one as we draw to a close. What makes me feel empowered given this particular subject? It's knowing that people have got my back. Thank you. That brings us to the close of another episode of the How to Empower podcast series. This has been a great conversation and I'd like to thank Barbara and Martin for their time and for sharing their stories and thoughts. To you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in. 
For more information, please visit the Working With Cancer website at workingwithcancer.co.uk. And remember, if you have any concerns about your health, speak to a medical professional. Lastly, don't forget to share your thoughts and stories on social media using the How to Empower hashtag. Thank you.